Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Welcome to the Defender Bible Study Podcast. Today is Monday, September 5th, 2022. My name is Chris Johnson. I serve as the Vice President of Church Partnerships and Government Affairs at Lifeline Children's Services. Today, we're continuing our study through the book of Genesis, looking at chapters number 22 and 23. We, of course, have been walking through the book of Genesis, and we have been looking primarily the last several weeks at the life of Abraham. And man, what a journey it's been. Um, you know, Abraham is, there's so much spoken of in the New Testament about the faith of Abraham and, uh, and, and how strong and important his faith was. And um, I, I think what's, what's, when you really dig into and really look at the life of Abraham, as is the case with most of the, the prophets and biblical characters that we kind of hold in this, this high esteem, we see really that it's just like us. Oftentimes it's a roller coaster and up and down, and they certainly were not perfect. Uh, Abraham was not perfect. Uh, Abraham faced a lot of different challenges and a lot of different struggles, and many of those struggles were were kind of interrelated, intertwined. Um, a lot of them had to do with family and his uh, desire. Yes, he he left his home and was willing to do that, but then oftentimes tried to hold on to some of those family relationships and uh, even tried to you know kind of maneuver and help God out uh, in maintaining some of those relationships, especially as it relates to uh, to his wife and and then of course to to having a child, having a son, and all the different pieces of that. Um, but I think today we're going to really just kind of see, uh, as Abraham is getting near the end of his life, just the importance of his faith and really seeing his trust in God um, through the different situations of life and, and why we see so much written about the faith of Abraham in the New Testament. And so we're looking again, we, we've kind of, uh, the last few weeks, uh, of course, last week, as we as we saw the, the two previous chapters, we saw how Abraham was in this this process of sanctification and how he is was allowing God to begin to shape and mold him and, and continue to work in him. And then we come to uh, chapters 22 and 23 today. And of course, Genesis chapter 2 is one of the most famous stories, one of the most well-known stories about Abraham and, and his faith. And uh, one of the reasons that this story stands out so vividly for us um, is really just the beautiful picture that it is of the redemptive work of Christ and the substitutionary nature of uh, Christ's sacrifice on our behalf and uh, all the different pieces. There's so many things in the story that relate to uh, Christ's death on the cross. And it's such a beautiful picture of what would come one day and the uh, the salvation that will be provided through uh, Christ's sacrificial death. And so that certainly is a huge part of, of why we, we know this story so well. But then also it's we know this story well because it's it just kind of is hard for us to wrap our minds around. It's hard for us to really understand what God is asking of Abraham and what Abraham is willing to do here uh, as we as we read this. So I want us to kind of walk through the narrative of these first of these two chapters, chapter 22 and 23, and then we're going to come back and we're going to focus on this this primary central story and uh, and glean some some truths from that this morning. Uh, I want to read at least this first part. We won't read all of chapter 22 and 23 today, uh, but I want to at least read this first part that tells the story, of course, of, of Abraham being willing to offer up his son Isaac as a sacrifice to God. Beginning in chapter 22 here, verse number one, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. 
He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, son, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out of his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by the horns, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place. The Lord will provide as it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sands that is on the seashore. And your and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall be all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Again, so many parts of this story just remind us of uh, our Heavenly Father, God being willing to to offer up His own Son as our sacrifice. Uh, so many things about even the location where Abraham was called to go and, and to uh, perform this this act of obedience is the same place that uh, the same area where the where the temple would be later be built and sacrifices on a regular basis would be offered, and then ultimately in that same area where Christ Himself would be offered uh, up on the cross. Uh, the, even the the idea of the wood being placed on Isaac, and and of course Christ carrying the the cross the first part, and then having someone help carry help and carry that for him. But just so many things that just really again just point to uh, the sacrificial love our heavenly Father has for us, and His willingness to offer His Son, the obedience of His Son, and being willing to to be that sacrifice and to go. Uh, Isaac. Most people tell us that Isaac was probably around twenty years old here, so Isaac even could have fought this and probably could have fought his dad off. But um, we. Again, there's there's a lot of things that, that the narrative leaves out, uh, but there's certainly just pictures here of surrender, both on behalf of Abraham, but surrender on behalf of Isaac, and uh, and just a, just a beautiful picture of, uh, of of what we what we have because of the the work of Christ and, and our heavenly Father, and then of course at the end of this after after the uh, the sacrifice of the ram is is provided the ram is provided and the sacrifice that sacrifice is made, um, God again through through the angel of the Lord He says here that. 
He again reiterates the promise that we have heard over and over and over again. As we've been walking through these, these chapters of Abraham's life, we have heard this promise on multiple occasions that, uh, that God would, would make of him a great nation, that God would multiply his seed, that God would, um, again, bless, bless his, uh, him through this and that he would be the, the father of a great nation, the father of many. And so just again, God continues to reiterate those, that promise to him and reiterate, um, his, his commitment to Abraham. Uh, in the last few verses, of this chapter it kind of re- accounts more of Abraham's extended family uh, and kind of points out some of his brothers and, th- and their children and relatives. Um, one of the interesting things at the end of, of chapter 22 here is the first time that we hear mention of Rebecca uh, kind of in this line and in this process. And of course, we know Rebecca is going to ultimately become the, the wife of Isaac, uh, Abraham's son. And so first mentioned there. And then we come to chapter 23 and chapter 23 kind of takes a, uh, a, a, a kind of a sad moment. We see here that that Sarah, the, the wife of Abraham, who he obviously loved and um, even oftentimes manipulated to God in the system to try to uh, keep her as his wife and all. Um, but we see that she passes away. And again, one interesting fact, it, we says here that Sarah lived to be 127 years old. And um, best we can find, best I've seen, it, it appears like that's the only female in scripture that ever mentions the number of years that she lived. Most of the time, that's always men. Uh, but here, uh, just I think that just kind of points out just the, the role of Sarah and as Abraham's wife and as, uh, again, of being her, her seed that would become the, the children of Israel, the people of God. But at the end of 127 years, Sarah passes away and uh, Abraham wants to make sure that, that she is buried properly and that, uh, that things are, are handled right. And so in chapter 23, really, we see again, um, Abraham display his faith in that uh, this is the first time since Abraham left heard the Chaldeans and left to go to a place that he knew not where he was going and where God would have him. He's been a, a sojourner and a wanderer and kind of going to all the different places that God has. This is the, the first time since then that we now see Abraham actually purchasing land. And the land that he purchased is a part of the land of Canaan that was promised to him. And so he purchases this land, purchased this land to, to be the plot where he would bury Sarah. And um, we see, of course, in the future, looking at scripture, we'll see even that Abraham himself will be buried here. Um, Jacob will be buried. Isaac will be buried. Rebecca will be buried here. Leah, Jacob, they'll even bring the bones of Jacob up from Egypt back so that Jacob can be married, buried here. And so we're seeing here that this, this, this land again in the, uh, in the place of Canaan, this, this promised land that God had promised to his people, it becomes their homeland. It becomes the place that they come back to. It becomes the place that they kind of mark as this is the land that God has given us, that God has promised us. And, and it becomes kind of that central place, um, for, for the generations to go forward, you know, um, there's, there's a special thing about a place where people are buried. And it's oftentimes a place that we go back and we have, we, we remember and we celebrate life and we remember and we look forward to, to reunion and to resurrection and, and time that will be reunited with those that have gone before us. And so this now is that place where, uh, Abraham would, would come and to remember Sarah and then even future generations would come back. And this would now be the hub and the home, the home place of the people of Israel, uh, that would be the, the offspring of Abraham. Abraham. 
And so really just a, a neat couple chapters here at the, again, approaching near the end of Abraham's life. Uh, we're going to move into next week where, uh, Abraham finds the, the, the bride for Isaac, Rebecca, and, 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 and we're kind of again winding down and we're going to start seeing the torch being passed from Abraham now to Isaac, um, who, who was, who would, who would then continue on, uh, this process of keeping this, this covenant with God and this God covenant being continued to be performed through the, the offspring of Abraham. But I want us to, to focus again back at the beginning part of chapter 22 and this story of of Abraham being willing to offer Isaac as a sacrifice um, and certainly it has the the beautiful ramifications of the picture of of Christ's sacrifice but it also is a great picture of just how to respond properly to the test of life and to the trials that we face in life and to the struggles and the hard things that sometimes we are called to do. Uh, uh, and so I think there's some, some great things that, that we can glean from here. And so I want to share just kind of a few realities around the story and then, uh, what the, what a proper response looks like and, and, and how, uh, Abraham modeled that for us. Uh, you know, we are told, as we said, there's been this sanctification process in Abraham's life. And we're told in, in Romans chapter, Romans chapter four, it says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has nothing to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. So this process had already taken place. This was something that was already been said of Abraham, that that he had placed his faith in God. So we know that Abraham is in relationship with God. So he's not having to perform some kind of duty in order to earn salvation, in order to earn God's love, earn uh, kind of uh, that connection and that that place in the family. God, he's, he's been declared righteous by his faith and by his belief. But then we also see in James chapter two, uh, beginning of verse 20, where it says, do you want to be shown, you, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by by faith alone. Now, there's been debate over the years as to who's right, Paul or James, and are they in conflict one with another? But the reality is James is showing how that because Abraham's faith was real and because he had been justified by placing that faith in God and in uh, what would the sacrifice that would come, he was in that right relationship by faith. But his faith, because it was real, showed itself and demonstrated itself in works. And specifically, James points to this act of sacrifice and this uh, willingness to walk in obedience to God. It wasn't a decision that Abraham had to make that that morning, that day, as far as, am I going to trust God, not trust God? And so I'm going to place my faith in God. And in doing so, I'm going to show him by, by doing this. And if I do this work that God's called me to do, that he will accept me. Abraham was already in relationship with God. But in this relationship with God, he now has the opportunity for his faith to be shown, for his faith to be demonstrated, uh, for his faith to be lived out. And of course, to be a testimony to all those around him. And uh, I think even to be a testimony to himself, to prove to himself that his faith was true and genuine. He was willing to do even the difficult things that that were asked of him. So with this understanding, what are some realities of this story that, uh, that we need to be aware of in our own life? The fact is we're going to, we're going to all face trials. We're going to all face testings, uh, that are going to come in our life. And so what are some realities that we need to remember and know about that? First of all, we need to remember that God tests our faith. God tests our faith. Now it says very clearly in verse number one that God tested Abraham. It's God the one, God is the one that initiated this test. God is the one that initiated this difficult season, this trial. 
trial that, that Abraham would go through. Um, it, it has been said that you can't have a testimony without a test. Uh, there takes trials and testings that we go through to, to build and proclaim that testimony, to proclaim that our faith is real and genuine. And it is clear that God is the one that sent this test. Um, now, it's important, again, as we, as we talk about this and understand this reality, that we distinguish between a test and temptation. Uh, very clear difference. James in James chapter 1 kind of lays out the difference between there. Um, he tells us not to be surprised when trials and testings come uh, into our lives. And, and again, as we even see here, that sometimes God will bring those testings into our life. Sometimes God bring those trials into our life. Um, but then he says very clearly that God cannot tempt someone with evil. So there's a distinct difference between a trial and a temptation. And the temptation sometimes, many times comes as a result of not responding properly to the trial. And so when God brings trials into our life, we have a choice of how we're going to respond to those trials. And if we uh, choose to, instead of embrace what God's trying to do and instead try to promote our own agenda, instead try to fulfill our own lustly desires, that's what James exactly says, where our, those temptations come from, the desires of our flesh. And when we give into and surrender to those, uh, that's when we, when we deal with the sin and the struggle that comes as a result of giving into temptation. Um, but we also can't just say that if anything bad happens to our life, it's, it's because of sin or it's because of the devil or it's because of, of, of something that's not, that we don't have enough faith or we don't have enough. There's some that would, that would say that, that if we, if our faith is strong enough, then, then we don't, you know, that God would never send hard trials, never send our way. And anything difficult that comes into our way is, it has to be from, from the devil. It has to be from Satan. But the reality is God does send trials in our life. And we need to, we need to recognize that. And we need to understand that and see that that God sends trials. And we're going to talk a little bit um, later this morning about why God does that and kind of some of the reasons for that. But we've got to understand this fact that oftentimes trials do come from God and it's a part of God's plan. It's a part of God's shaping. It's a part of God's sanctifying and, and us and, and, and maturing us and growing our faith. And so we see clearly here that this test, this trial that Abraham went through, it came from God. Another reality is that some trials are just between you and God. Some trials are, are just between me and God. When when Abraham, when, when God comes to Abraham and, and speaks to him, it says that that he got up early, he doesn't have so any mention of him mentioning to Sarah. Um, as a as a husband and father, I could probably understand. Uh, I would not want to, if God was calling me to do something like this, I certainly wouldn't want to tell my wife about it either, uh, because she would probably do everything in her power to stop it and to check, change it and fix it. But but we see Abraham getting up early. We don't see any record of him telling anyone other than come on, Isaac, and he brings these two uh, young men, these two servants along with him. But even there comes a point where even those servants can't go any further. There comes a point where he has to say, you stay here and, and me and Isaac, my, my son and I, we're going to go, uh, we're going to go to worship. But even Isaac is asking questions. He's not able to, Abraham can't tell Isaac what's going on. He can't yet, he's not, has, doesn't have the liberty and the freedom yet to even share what's going on. And I just can't even imagine again, as, as a father, I can't even imagine the anguish and, um, you know, just the, the, the stress that, that Abraham is under here as he is, I'm sure questioning God, God, what in the world are you doing? God, you've, you, you're, everything you've said and taught is against human sacrifice. And now you're calling me to this. And, and you've, you've been promising me this son. You finally given me this son. You say you're going to make a great nation of him. And now you're wanting to take him. And I just don't understand this. And, and I, while there's no record of Abraham saying those things out loud, he, he's, he's human and he's got to be thinking these things and wrestling these things. And, and he ultimately though, he has nobody to share with. He, he can't tell the servants. He can't tell Isaac. Um, there's only 
only so far that the servants can go with him. There's only so far, so much that Isaac can know. But ultimately, uh, this is this is something that is happening between Abraham and God. And you know, in our in our own lives, um, we 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 we're thankful for family and we're thankful for friends who help us in trouble. And when we go through trials, it's great to be able to lean on people and to have people that support us in those trials and in those difficulties. But the reality is, some trials we must face alone. Sometimes there are things that God wants to do in our heart and in our life that are that are so uh, personal and so private in nature that that He's getting us to the point where He's the only one that we can depend on where we can't look to friends, we can't look to relationships, we can't look to family. And it's just between us and God and trusting God to to work in our lives. So God tests our faith. Some trials are just between us and God. But then another reality is that God provides. God always provides. And here we see in, in both number, in verse number eight, first of all, we see that, that God provides this, this ram. Uh, Abraham, of course, was telling Isaac, God's going to provide, God's going to provide. Um, in, in the verses, the next few verses, we see that, eight, that God does provide this ram, uh, for the sacrifice. And then, um, even to the point that down in, in verse number, uh, 12 and, and down in verse number 14, Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. Uh, his provision will be seen. And in our own lives, in our own trials, our own situations, um, it may not happen always the way that we expect or the way that we think or the way that we want, but we must rest in the fact that God provides. And God will always provide exactly what is needed, exactly what is uh, what he will use to conform us to his image, to, to meet the needs in our life that will help us become more like him and help us uh, may live out a faith that is real and genuine. And then the fourth reality uh, kind of goes in, this, in the same vein is the fact that God can be trusted. God can be trusted. God always keeps his word. God always keeps his promises. And I think it's it shouldn't be lost on us that at the end of this, this trial, God again reiterates this promise to Abraham. Abraham, I told you, and I continue to tell you, I will keep my word. I can be trusted. My promises are secure. And so I think in, in our, when we are facing trials, when we are facing especially these deep, deep, difficult trials that, that are just between us and God, it's so important that we remember that God can be trusted, that we remember that, that God always uh, acts in, in, in a way that is for our good and for his glory. Uh, again, it may be uncomfortable. It may not, it may be difficult. It may not make sense in our own minds that this is for our good, but we rest in not our experience, not just in uh, our feelings and emotions. We rest in the promises of God and we know that God can be trusted. And so if God brings us to a trial, God will provide what is necessary to bring us through that trial. Uh, we won't be able to do it in our own power. We won't be able to do it in our own strength, but we can rest in the fact that, that God can be trusted and that God will always provide and God will meet those needs. So we see these realities in this story. God tests our faith. Some trials are just between us and God. God always provides and God can always be trusted. So what is our response? When we face these trials, when we face these testings, what, what should be our response? Uh, first of all, I think uh, the three responses real quickly. First of all, I think we must view our test as an opportunity to worship. We must view the test as an opportunity to worship. Um, it, it blows me away. And I, I think 
in, in college even was when I first kind of started studying uh, worship through scripture, just kind of preparing to be a, a worship pastor at a church in my early years of ministry, serving in that capacity, just kind of understanding. And really the, the first few times that, that this idea of worship is mentioned, it's, it's in connection with Abraham. Um, there's, a, there's a time a few chapters earlier where it says that Abraham bowed down before the Lord. And it's the, that Greek word, that Hebrew word, sakal, which is the word that's translated oftentimes worship. But then we see here in, in chapter 22, at the most difficult time of Abraham's life, in the most stressful test and struggle and, and, and trial he's ever faced, we see Abraham over and over again views this as an act of worship. He says to the servants, we are going up to worship. He says to Isaac, we're going to worship. We're building an altar to worship over and over again. Abraham, in his mind, again, believing that, that he is going to sacrifice his son, he still is viewing this trial as a, 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 uh, an opportunity to worship, a means of worship. And, uh, you know, instead of asking to get out of the, the situation, instead of, um, you know, seeking to, to be removed from this, uh, what if we ask God, how can he get glory out of the situation? What if we instead viewed the test in our life, the trial in our life as opportunities to worship him, opportunities to, to live out and put our worship on display? Um, worship, of course, is so much more than, than singing songs of praise. And, and uh, it's more so much more than an, than an experience. Um, I believe in the purest sense, worship is all that I am laid on the altar of all I know God to be. All that I am laid on the altar of all that I know God to be. And that's exactly what Abraham's doing. Abraham says, I am surrendering my all to you. God, what you're asking of me is difficult. What you're asking of me is, is to give up something that is very dear to my heart. But God, you are worthy of that. And so I'm going to take all that I am, all that you have blessed me with, all that you give, and I'm going to surrender it all to you, God. And I'm going to lay it all on the altar uh, of who I know you to be. And so a Abraham here is putting his faith in action, and he is viewing this as an opportunity to worship the one true God. When we face trials, when we face testings, are we willing to put it all on the table? Are we willing to yield our desires and our wishes and our dreams? Are we willing to put all that we are on the altar of all that we know God to be? The second response that we see, and this should be evident in our life, um, is we must focus on God's promises. We must focus on God's promises. Again, we we talked about the fact that that God could be trusted, and and that God uh, can can be can be trusted even in these difficulties, even in these situations. And Abraham trusted God completely. We're told in Hebrews chapter eleven, as again this uh, this event and this this time of testing is referenced again in light of Abraham's faith. In Hebrews chapter eleven, beginning of verse seventeen, it says, "By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac." And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall be your, shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So it says here that Abraham was so convinced of the promises of God that he was willing to, to offer up Isaac, knowing and believing in his heart that, that God was going to keep his word, that God was going to hold true to his promise, and that God had promised that he was going to make that great nation through Isaac. So even if it meant God taking Isaac's life, but then raising it back up again, Abraham believed in God's promise. And Abraham focused on that promise. And so in the back of his mind, he is thinking, God's calling me to do this, but God's also made this promise. I'm going to trust that God's promise is true. And I'm going to offer my son to him. And knowing that even if it means God having to bring my son back to life, God will keep his word. 
And I pray that when, when we go through testings, when we go through trials, that we will hold fast also to the promises of God, that we will believe so firmly in this word, in his book, that, that we will believe so firmly in the promises of God that we will say, no matter what comes our way, no matter what we are faced with, no matter what struggle, we're going to stay faithful and we're going to stay true because the promises of God can always be trusted. God keeps his word. He cannot lie. He cannot go back on his promises. And so we know that we can cling and hold strong to the promises of God, the promises that we have in his word. So how do we respond to tests and trials? We view your test as an opportunity to worship. We focus on God's promises. And then ultimately we rest in God's purpose. We rest in God's purposes. God had a purpose and a plan for what he was taking Abraham through. And God has a purpose and a plan for the trials and the tests that he takes us through as well. Uh, we see throughout scripture different ways that, that God tests our faith, the different ways, different purposes of the, the tests and trials uh, that we go through. And so when we're going through that testing, when we're going through that trial, another good question to ask is what is God trying to accomplish in my life? What is the purpose of this trial? What is it that God is wanting to do? Uh, we see again in scripture a few purposes that we're told of very clearly. Uh, one is God sends trials to purify our faith, to purify our faith. I think that's part of the what God was doing here with Abraham. It was showing Abraham, showing uh, ultimately giving Abraham the opportunity to, to, to demonstrate that his faith was real. Certainly it was a demonstration to God, but I think it was also a demonstration to Abraham, a place where Abraham was able to, to really have that gut check. And am I really trusting God? God? Am I really resting in his promises? We're told in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Sometimes the tests are in our life just to prove and show and to demonstrate that our faith is real, that our faith is genuine. And so oftentimes tests come in our life, trials come in our life to purify our faith. Um, you talk over and over again to people who have gone through difficulty trials. And when, when you talk with people who have responded properly to those trials, almost every time and every time, I believe every time you will, you will see at the end of that trial, when you have the conversation, maybe down the road, but you're going to say, that person's going to say that as they trusted God through that trial, their faith became stronger. Their faith grew. Their faith was was uh, re reaffirmed and recommitted over and over again. And as we go through these difficult trials and seasons, when the next storm comes, we have something to hold on to. We know that we don't have to be blown by the wind, tossed to and fro, because we've held true to our faith. As our faith has survived the storms of the past, and our faith will continue to survive the storms going forward. Uh, our faith will continue to stay firm and to stay strong. Um, man, I, I I see even here on our screen today, I see Carrie. Uh, done in her family. Man, they went through just a horrific trial and testing uh, last year with her husband's health. And uh, I guarantee you, and Carrie has shared testimony of how God used that. She would never want to go through that again, but God used that to strengthen her faith, to strengthen her husband's faith, to strengthen their relationship, and now to, to build uh, an even greater, stronger faith in their family's life. So sometimes tests come to purify our faith. Sometimes they come to perfect our character to perfect our character. Uh, James talks about this in James chapter one. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
So again, it's these tests and these trials that strengthen and build up our faith, that build up and, and ultimately perfect our character and, and help us become more uh, like Christ and strengthen our character and strengthen our walk. Um, just like just like if, if we did everything for a newborn baby and we never made that baby do hard things, difficult things, try to take steps, uh, try to feed themselves, then the baby would never grow, would never uh, would never grow into those those um, those needed those needed things in needed ways. The same is true of our faith. If our faith is never tested, then it never has the opportunity to be strengthened and to grow and to and to flourish and to, and to be matured and perfected. And so sometimes come trials come to perfect our character. Sometimes trials come to protect us from sin to protect us from sin, to keep us in a place of humility, to keep us in a place of dependence, and to keep us from trying to launch out and do things on our own. Uh, Paul faced this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Uh, he says this this thorn, God allowed this thorn, this, this physical melody in my life to keep me from being puffed up, to keep me from being prideful. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says it would be very easy for me to be puffed up in my own pride and, and conceitfulness. And it'd be easy for me to, to stand up and thump my chest at, at all that I am. And so I, God sends this, God allows this thorn in my flesh. God sends me through weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities so that I recognize that my power and strength is not in my flesh. It's not in me, but it is completely in God. And so sometimes God brings trials just to protect us from ourselves, to protect us from walk, trying to walk in our own strength, to protect us uh, from sin in our life. And so as we are going through trials, as we're facing these trials, we must, we must view the test as an opportunity to worship. We must focus on God's promises and we must rest in God's purposes. Again, asking God, what is it that you're wanting to accomplish in my life? Um, many of you know we're we're coming up uh, just a, a couple weeks from the the five year anniversary of, uh, of of our son going home to be with the Lord and, and our son being killed in a in a in an auto accident at work work related auto accident and uh, I I've heard my my wife say this on numerous occasions and and it, and I've and I've been able to watch and witness it in in her life um, you know when when that first happened the the immediate question, the thing to ask is why God, why, why, you know, why my family? Why is our family going through this trial? Why did you take my son? Why did you take his life? And why, why is this happening? Why, why is this happening to us? But, but Alicia, from the very early days of going through this, this trial and this tough test and this difficult situation, I, I remember her saying, and I've heard her say it over and over again, that, that she asked God to change. And, and instead of her asking God, why did this happen to us? she began to say, God, what is it that you're wanting to accomplish through this? God, how do you want to use this trial in my life? How do you want to use this trial in the lives of other people? And even just yesterday, as, as I preached 
uh, about the biblical call to care for the vulnerable. Uh, God led me at the end of that message to share Ethan's story. And so even five years later, God is using Ethan's story and, and, and the way that God brought Ethan to himself and, 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 and saved him, brought him into a family, but then ultimately brought him into the family of God. God is still using that story to bring others to himself. And, and that ought to be our desire with trials. That ought to be our prayer. God, what do you want to accomplish? God, what do you want to do? God, I surrender. I trust. I trust you completely. It says in verse number 12 of chapter 22 here that, that, that God speaking to Abraham said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For I know for, for now I know that you fear God. You see, Abraham was given this, this test and Abraham uh, through his faith was able to pass the test. Uh, reminded of what Job said in Job 23 verse 10. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. If our faith is real, if our faith is genuine, if our faith is secure in Christ, then we will make it through the test. We will make it through the trial. God will bring us through. His faith will keep us secure in him. And we will continue to be a testimony of the goodness of God, the graciousness of God, and the fact, the faithfulness of God, that he can be tested, that his word can be tested, and his promises are sure. This week, our prayer focus is on Families Count. Uh, so thankful for the ministry of Families Count. Uh, it's designed by Lifeline to be able to come alongside local churches to equip those churches to care well for the biological parents of children in foster care, as well as those who are at risk of their children entering into foster care. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessings on this ministry. Dearly Father God, we do love you and thank you so much, God, for just being at work in our lives. We thank you for the things that we've learned about and studied today, Lord, and being able to see that, that your word can be trusted and that your promises are sure and uh, you are worthy of our faith and dependence upon you. Lord, we thank you for the ministry of Families Count. Lord, we thank you for uh, the Families Count team that works diligently, Lord, to make sure that this uh, ministry is carried out in an effective way, in a way that, uh, Lord, uh, just opens up doors and opportunities for local churches, God, to proclaim the good news of the gospel to broken and hurting families. Um, Lord, we, we give you thanks for the families that have come to know you. Lord, even as we celebrated this week, hearing from one of our church partners that an entire family came to know you as Savior, and then uh, we're all baptized together this past Sunday in their local church. Uh, Lord, we pray that even more uh, parents um, would come to know you through salvation. We pray that um, their children would come to know you as well and that you will restore and uh, or just put together families, put together homes that would be really lighthouses for you, God. We pray that you would draw uh, men and women to yourself, God, and these that are in this difficult situation, that you would use this trial and this difficulty, Lord, to draw them to you and help them to see that, uh, Lord, you, you created their life with purpose and meaning and that you desire to have a personal relationship with them. Lord, we pray that you would continue to give us favor with uh, various CPS offices around the country, Lord, as we introduce Families Count, they would see the uh, benefit of engaging and sending families to these churches and referring to these classes. And so we pray, God, that you just would continue to open up those doors. Again, help us to, to do things well and with excellence so that it would be well received 
um, by those in, in government roles and uh, those in the courts and those who are working with uh, vulnerable families. Um, we pray also, God, for uh, our training teams that travel literally all over the country, Lord, to equip churches. And we thank you for the way that you have expanded this ministry and given us the opportunity to even host regional trainings where so that more churches can be trained. We pray that you would empower our trainers, give them wisdom and, uh, Lord, the ability to, to lead well and to train well. We pray that as they as they share about this ministry, Lord, the churches will receive it and the uh, teams that are there to learn, Lord, will be able to uh, Lord, just comprehend the way that you want to work through it. Um, Lord, we pray that that uh, for specifically for those CBS offices, Lord, that work alongside us in so many ways. And, and Lord, we know that those offices so often face, experience high turnover and people coming in and out. And uh, Lord, this has been especially difficult over these last few years. And we just pray that you would draw the right people into those places of leadership and into those places of influence. And uh, Lord, that it would just continue. We'd be able to continue to, to help, uh, Lord, see churches that have good relationships with their local child protective services offices. Um, Lord, again, we thank you for this ministry. We thank you for those that you laid upon their hearts to begin this ministry and those that continue to help it to flourish. And we pray, God, that you just would, would use it for your honor and for your glory. And uh, may you, Lord, uh, truly just get all the glory and honor from it. Lord, we pray your continued blessings upon the ministry of Lifeline. We thank you for the opportunities you put before us. May we be good stewards of those opportunities. May we honor you in the way that we conduct ourselves, the way that we equip others to care uh, for the vulnerable. We'll give you thanks and praise for it all. We're in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.